0: And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash Wire. That's harrys.com slash Wire for a $3 trial set.
1: The Links and Locks Podcast. podcast.
0: Better than most. Better than most. Better than. <laughs> winner winner it yes. down! Yes. Four
1: You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. This is your Butterfield Bermuda Championship Tournament Preview. As we head to Bermuda after being in Cabo last week, where Eric Van Royen took home the title. He did it in dramatic fashion with the back 928, finished nine under par for the round, twenty-seven under for the tournament, and he did it in style by knocking in a 16-footer for Eagle to win by two over Camila Vigegas and Matt Kucher. What a tournament that was. EVR, incredible performance for a variety of reasons. We're not going to get into that here. We're ready to break down the Butterfield Bermuda Championship. And Spencer Aguiar is with me. You can find him on Twitter at Toff Sports. Spencer, what is your best bet for this week's tournament in Bermuda? and it's a pleasure to be with you today,
2: yeah, it's a pleasure to be on this show, Roberto. Like, uh, obviously, last week's tournament had its ebbs and flows. And I think we talked about it that we didn't necessarily love the event from a value perspective. I ended up losing a little over two units when it was all said and done. Um, Trying to figure out why that ended up being the case. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons we could go to it. There's the lack of data that we can pull in any of that. Roberto, I don't think it was any of that. When you dress up as Colin Morikawa for a show, there is bad <laughs> juju that it brings to the episode. So I am happy to be here with a Shawn Michaels shirt today. I feel like we're back in that in that sort of an era right now. With my best bet for this tournament, I am going to go with Davis Riley, minus 125 over Stuart Sink. You can find that over on Bet365 as of this moment.
1: All right. Um, last week, unique tournament, not only because you were wearing the Colin Morikawa <laughs> stuff, but you were wearing the Cal grads. Uh, you were dressed as a Cal grad on the first time that we saw a course called el cardinal yeah so just bad that especially makes it the worst week to wear um a cal berkeley shirt so anyways uh we won't get into last week's tournament too much <laughs> but it was a lot of unknowns without having ever seen the course before and adam long hit all 56 fairways last week it was kind of absurd i know kelly Kraft wasn't very happy with the host course in el cardinal and i personally don't want to see any pga tour tournaments on resort courses but Nonetheless, we got another tournament this week and it's not at exactly a resort course. So I am excited for this tournament and it's a unique tournament on a course that's a lot shorter. There could be a lot of wind involved and no par fours over 460 yards. So we'll break that down in our tournament preview. But my best bet this week is Russell Knox plus 120 for top 40, which you can find out there where all ties are paid in full. But before we get to Russell Knox... Break down, Spencer, why you like Davis Riley over Stuart Sink, the kitchen.
2: It, it obviously makes a difference when this episode releases and when everyone listens to the podcast. But I can almost guarantee that this price that I mentioned is going to balloon out into that minus 150, minus 160, minus 170 plus range before everything closes on Thursday. A lot of the non-bet 365 markets are already in that zone. I've recommended it in my Rotoballer article. I've talked about it with Jason Sobel on the gimme. We are discussing it here again. I've just seen the story play out before where I think you had a lack of movement movement at a particular book, and then all of a sudden where the movement takes place there, it kind of overcorrects itself throughout the entire industry. That happened a few months ago when I took Spieth minus 115 over Lucas Glover. That closed at about minus 250, depending on where you got that out. Yeah. I will note that it didn't win, and I doubt that we get as strong of a movement here as what I just mentioned, but I think you can see the stark contrast between sharp and square money on both of these golfers throughout any book that you dive deeper into for the week. My model noticed an alarming trend for Seek that has seen him drop to 112th in this field for strokes gained off the tee in his past 24 rounds. That explains the three missed cuts he has provided as many starts during the fall restart. Sometimes that data can be flawed if a player is barely missing the weekend. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case here. He's, he's in the three missed cuts, has missed it by two, three, and two shots. I'm going to take the upside with Riley that he's presented historically on similar tracks. I'm going to fade Sink, who likely got priced into this matchup because of his fourth place finish at this, at this course in 2020. My numbers ranked him 17th for that event. He's 56th this week. I think it's tough to say that he's the same player three years later. And he's certainly not performing anywhere near those earlier standards. If we're getting a jump now against a golfer in Davis Riley that I do want to know, you know, Roberto, I I would say there's obviously we all have players that we back quite frequently. Uh, Mm. When I think of Davis Riley, I think of Roberto. I think that you were the (laughs) first person on him. I think you steadily stayed on him quite a bit. I think we're finally now starting to see him turn his game back around. It's been a bit of a hodgepodge throughout some of these events, but At least the historical distribution that we've gotten at these very short, soft Bermuda type textures, there's an increase that my model is experiencing on him. So it's kind of one of those situations where there's multiple paths to victory potentially. If Riley gives us the upside that I hope he does, the bet probably ends up winning that way. If Sink can miss the cut, which is obviously the ideal thing that we want to play out, which I would say is about 50 50 in the spot, it would be nice to win this before a ball is struck on Saturday.
1: Yeah, you mentioned how fond I am of Davis Riley and really liked betting him in 2022 and of course we started this podcast together with our friend Nick Bretwish in the fall of 22 for the beginning of this PGA Tour season which will never end but <laughs> Davis Riley has had some success on what I'll call similar in length challenges on the PGA Tour one that stands out was the Charles Schwab challenge at Colonial Country Club where he finished T4 Gained over two strokes on approach and was really hot for about a month and a half around that period of time in 2022. But it's been a tough 2023 for him. But overall, he's still a better golfer than Stuart Sink. Looking at Data Golf's rankings, they have him 143rd. Stuart Sink outside the top 200. And uh, Stuart Sink played on a Champions Tour event a couple weeks ago, finished T7. Actually, lost strokes gained relative to like the PJ Tours. Uh, numbers. So interesting that T7 still doesn't even get you strokes gain, uh total for the week on the Champions Tour, depending on how well you do, of course. But Stuart Sink, I don't think is quite in his class, and I w- I'll take Davis Riley at that price all day long over Stuart Sink. But for my best bet, I'm going with Russell Knox plus 124 top 40. And I got a variety, variety of reasons why I like Russell Knox. And this week I'm going to be playing a few guys who are short knockers off the tee, who have the ability to spike on approach, and maybe have some course history as well. And Russell Knox hits all three of those right on the head. He has great course history. First off, this is the fifth time that this tournament has been played. It started in 2019 and Knox has played in all four of the prior editions, made the cut all four times. T49 here last year, but he has a T11, T16, and a T12 in his first three starts. So clearly he has some affinity for this course. The thing about Russell Knox is he's super short off the tee, which means that he can't contend on over half the golf courses on the pga tour and if you look at how he's done this year it's been pretty poor but he's hitting from 20 30 40 50 yards back behind guys in the fairway every week and surprisingly he is very strong on approach he's 19th in strokes gained approach this season on tour and he's second in strokes gained approach in the last 24 rounds among players in this field also top seven in par three scoring and weighted par three uh we'll get to our Tournament pre or course preview in a moment, but one thing that stands out to me about why he fits this course so well is because par three scoring I think is going to be pretty important this week because three of the of the four par threes are over two hundred yards, which means you're going to have to hit some mid long irons on those holes. Whereas on the par fours, everything's under four hundred sixty yards, so it's going to be almost a pitch and putt out there. Uh, Of course, wind is a huge caveat here in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, so that could provide an issue for some players especially depending on the wave which is why i haven't attacked the out my outright card quite yet but russell knox is from scotland so he should be comfortable in the win Uh, in addition to being strong in general on approach his approach numbers inside of 200 yards or inside of 175 yards looking at buckets from 100 to 125 yards 125 to 150 and 150 to 175 uh want to shout out you spencer i looked in your sheet on this He's in the top 10 in this field in proximity among all three of those key ranges, which I think he's going to hit a lot of shots from. And that gives me confidence that he can give himself a lot of birdie opportunities on this course. The question is, how well is he going to putt? Because he's not a great putter. And can he take advantage of the par fives? I'm not quite sure, but I don't think he's going to make a ton of bogeys this week. And he's already shown quite an affinity for this course as I mentioned the course history. So for him at plus money, one uh, plus 120 to be a top 40 finish this week with ties paid in full. That is my best bet this week. I'm going to bet it to win. uh, I'm going to bet it for a half unit to win 0.6 units this week. So that's my big play. Spencer, any thoughts on Russell Knox or are we good to jump into our course preview for Port Royal golf course?
2: No, we can jump into it. The one thing I'll just mention very quickly is I think you mentioned it best. If you can score on the par fives, he has a chance to find success because of the way to proximity numbers that he's going to bring to the table, but he has to score on those par fives because that, and we'll talk about this as we move into the course. I think that's how you end up missing the cut. If you don't produce in those areas.
1: Agreed. Uh, Spencer, this is a really unique golf course on the PGA tour, 6,800 yards, really, really short. We almost never see courses under 7,000 yards on the PGA tour, but what else stands out to you about Port Royal?
2: I think it's a really intriguing property. Um, you know, I, I wrote this in a bowler article, and, and I kind of stand by this statement, even though, like, obviously, I'm going to give a very different answer of the massive outliers that we're going to talk about here in a second, but... I think mostly what you see is what you get for a tournament that doesn't have stat tracker present. The course is positioned on the Atlantic Ocean coastline. It's going to experience that volatility that you might expect because of the weather. I'm probably not the person to ask about this because I'm never going to get overly concerned with pinpointing specific tee times because of the erratic nature of the wind when you do play near water. So the one thing I want to say about that is uh, I think the PM AM split as of this moment, if you are close between a decision would probably be the route that you want to go. Uh, That always has the propensity to shift quickly, which is why I normally get trepidation going down that route, but the blustery conditions, smaller size aspect of this being the second shortest property on tour, the soft Bermuda texture to the track, all of that has been pronounced in all four iterations of the contest to date. I think one of the most interesting quirks about this venue is that while it plays straightforward with its 6,828 yard measurement. The layout of the land provides an uncommon background when we look at the distribution of the yardage. You kind of talked about this a second ago, Roberto, but most of the hidden length is baked into three of the four par threes that range between 213 to 235 yards. That group will rank as your three most challenging stops daily because of their bogey or worse rate. That's going to range between 26 to 31%. I think the most abnormal part of that answer is when you dive into the historical finishes for top 10 producers over the past four seasons and how it has shown that the par threes are the most impactful range to finding high-end success. That is going to flip when looking at just cut makers. That kind of suggests what I was talking about a second ago with Russell Knox to where if you earn shots on the par fours or the par fives, that's going to be crucial in making the cut. It's going to be those high-end separators on the par threes that kind of gives you the upside to win this tournament. I think if you only do one of those two answers, it will either limit your upside of your safety here, but... I tend to think it's a good course for modeling, even if we don't have that long-term data that we would hope to see because of the lack of stat tracker being available. Um, you know, We'll obviously talk about the answer that that you're going to go down the road on when we talk about outrights, about how there is something that I think is a unique way to play the weather here. I don't know if it's going to necessarily be the answer that I'm going to use before I make a bet, but we'll talk about that in a second. I think there's a reason to potentially save some bullets and keep them in the holster. Uh, for to allow this event to play out for a day or two before we jump into this. But I, I do kind of like this course for all the problems that you would expect me to say for somebody who's so data-driven.
1: I agree that it presents a really interesting modeling challenge this week. My problem is that I don't want to bet on the players uh, to win the tournament at the numbers that they're given. yeah, And especially given the potential wind that could wreak havoc on a wave or a whole day and i just kind of want to see how that plays out so i'll talk about players that i'm interested in betting this week and whom i'll be targeting but i haven't actually placed any wagers in the outright outright market this week uh, the only one i've really pinpointed is russell knox 110 to one but i'm playing in more for the top 40 and i'm not going to be playing this tournament aggressively from an outright perspective i'll be limiting it to uh six Unit uh, win targets this week, as I've been doing the last couple weeks here, without data on the course uh, from a strokes gain perspective. That is uh, data, but I am intrigued by Russell Knox. I also mentioned that he had five, he's gained strokes on approach in five straight events, so he's hot right now with his irons. I like that for him, uh, but I don't have any other outright bets so far. But I do think there will be some in tournament opportunities, and we will have more coverage of the tournament this week. Once again, it's an international tournament, so no PGA Tour Live for us to watch the whole day's worth, but we will have Golf Channel in the afternoons for a couple hours, so I'll be very intrigued to see how that goes, and I'll be right there with everybody else on the PGA Tour app and Data Golf looking at live results online as best we can without the uh, strokes gained and the tracker information from Shotlink available. But Spencer, I'm intrigued to hear whom you're betting on on Outrights this week.
2: Yeah, I do think there's an edge to be found with keeping room on your card for when the weather does ultimately ravage one side of the draw. Um, I ended up doing a three-man card. I bet to win seven units. It ended up being an exposure of under a half of unit. I, I think there's a lot of ways for me to still get invested in this tournament. Like I-, I kind of tend to think that the favorites here are maybe stronger than the general public would say on them. Like Obviously, you see it with the prices, but whether you look at an Adam Scott, Brendan Todd, Uh, Ben Griffin, obviously the Thomas Dietrich, Alex Noren answers like they're not going to be favorites and my model doesn't like them. So I think they're names to consider depending on where they move. But I started a little bit differently. I went with Alex Smalley at 28 to 1. That's a number that has moved ever so slightly here over the past 24 hours. But it essentially believed when I ran my data that we were looking at a projected top three or four win equity golfer in this event. That should have been closer to 20-1 to to capture the title than that initial 28-1 to price that we received on him. Still think any of those 25s are still good value that you can find out there, but uh, Smalley's top 10 grades for strokes gained total on Bermuda, his playability on short courses, how he's performed in the wind, the projected scoring that he had for this venue, all of that helped to highlight the high-end profile of a golfer who experienced a strong run for us in the placement market this time last year when we started this show when I thought books were underrating his top 40 potential, it's obviously not going to be quite the same spot 12 months later, because we now have a sub 30 to one choice to win an event. But I still think we may have similar outlooks here in the outright sector of books being too low on his upside potential. I didn't really see a reason why Smalley should be off in price compared to any of those names that I talked about. Like to me, he is that 18 to 20 to one golfer that all the Adam Scott's and D and Noren's are for this week. So I thought I was grabbing value there with the small lean number above anything else. I took Brandon Wu at 55 to one. That's been one of the most substantial moves. If you look at some of the sharper books out there, I've seen him down as low as 30 to one. I still think you can find that number in wow. the fifties if you shop around, but 55-1 uh,
1: on Bet365 in the enhanced win market.
2: Perfect. So you can still find that same price out there as of this moment. And I thought Wu had this really intriguing course-specific blueprint that he put together. It highlighted a golfer who has historically loved venues that are similar in texture and nature as this one. I don't necessarily expect him to be highly bet by most. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think you kind of have this range where some of the sharper money is coming in on him. I think some of the square money has not touched him in any facet of the market and he's kind of staying where he's at for that reason. But uh, most of the reason why most people don't want to go to him because he hasn't provided a top 30 showing during his last nine starts. I understand that problem. I wish we had some of those high end finishes to look at, but also don't think we would have this number that stayed so flat as it did at 55 to one. Otherwise, I was more intrigued by the six straight made cuts that he has generated when entering a course that should ideally suit his game. And that's going to probably likely explain why he has posted back-to-back top 35 showings at the property. And then I wrapped up my card with Troy Merritt at 66 to 1. That's a name for me that I kind of feel like I've gotten right more often than not. I don't bet him very often. He's kind of one of those like ebbs and flows in my model to where sometimes my model really likes him. Sometimes my model is, is turned off by the idea of backing him, but he was the most significant value difference in my sheet for a top 20 ranked golfer in the field inside of my model. Uh, he's made his past five cuts. He's delivered two top 10 showings at the Fortinet and Sanderson to begin the fall season. His ninth place grade for weighted ball striking blended really well with his first fourth place rank for expected strokes gain total at this venue. It, you know, this is kind of the same answer that I think we would talk about with Russell Knox here, where it doesn't come without some risk since the par five scoring has been troubling mm-hmm. troubling at times this year. That's an area where someone can quickly produce missed cuts at the property Uh, That's something that we'll discuss probably even further throughout this show, but in these upside markets, whether it's to win the tournament or a top 10 or 20 bet in this particular tournament, we want that upside equity. We want those win equity totals that are really popping And That's something that merit supplied for me in bunches here. So I'm going to eat the risk that I understand that this could go south and kind of just play the upside here on a number on a golfer where. You know, I legitimately think he should be a top 15 win equity player and markets aren't pricing him that way right now. So I would have had him sub 50 to one to win this contest. I think anything above 50 to one is a nice price to try to grab on a golfer that has been relatively good to begin this new season. Like if you can give me two top 10 finishes in a couple starts, I think the game is trending in the right direction for a course that all the numbers are really popping for him in the ways that you would want to see.
1: I think he's a pretty intriguing play, and we've seen him, as you said, two top tens in his last four starts, all those made cuts in a row, uh, those five made cuts in a row. Uh, I'm intrigued by Troy Merritt this week, and you mentioned the par five issues, potentially. There are only three par fives this week, uh, and all three of them are 553 yards or shorter, so they should be more accessible than a lot of the other par fives on other PGA Tour golf courses, so If you're not a bomber, you still should be able to get there in two on, you would think, all three of them, unless wind is playing a big factor, which, of course, is going to be the caveat for the entire week here in Bermuda. Uh, Spencer, any other players who just missed your outright card that you are intrigued by or whom you might be targeting with one of those in-tournament bullets that you got saved in your holster?
2: I mean, I think if I was to like narrow this down to five or six names, where I would like to see what happens after the first day or two, and you know, a lot of these are golfers that I talk about quite frequently. So you know, we can make the argument that my model just might be higher than them than they should be. But it would be the names like Thomas Dietrich, Alex Norin. I-, I thought Ben Griffin is very intriguing. He was the only golfer inside of my model that ranked inside the top ten of all six statistical categories that I ran this week. It's kind of the same answer, Roberto, that I've given on almost any of these shows when we talk about Bermuda courses. Noren and Griffin are always the two largest climbers for me, and Dietrich would be that close third in that range of just how their win upside or their win equity sees this massive increase for me. So thought they were intriguing. I, I think if you want to get a little bit deeper down this board, my model liked Vincent Whaley. Don't know if this is necessarily the market that I prefer playing at. Like I was hoping we'd get a good top 40 number or a top 30 number didn't necessarily see the value that I wanted to in that area, but Taylor Pendrith was somewhat intriguing. Doug Gim was the number one weighted scorer for me inside of my sheet. Those are names that with, I think a good first day or two can really propel themselves up my sheet. So I'm going to keep an eye on them. You know, that doesn't mean obviously, I just want to preface this for anybody listening, because I think we have a bad habit as an industry as a whole, where people overexpose their outright cards and it's something Roberto that you and I talk about quite frequently that everybody wants that end clickbait answer of I hit the outright or I've hit 15 outrights this season, or I had this, but really at the end of the day, it's about the value that we can find in the prices. And it's about the the ability to get our exposure in other areas of the market. So that's going to be matchups. That's going to be um, these placement bets. Obviously if we can find value in the outright sector, all the better there, but like, I think this is the perfect indicator of this. As of this moment, you are considering Russell Knox. You don't have any outrights. You're looking for an in-tournament bet there. You're not going to have that that clickbait answer unless if Russell Knox wins this to where you can even point towards that answer there. doesn't mean you can't find value once the tournament starts. But I just think sometimes as an industry, we get too much exposure on these outright cards before a ball is struck. And you don't necessarily get that real long-term equity that brings to the table here, when we can maneuver through of actually having data for the course for a day or two, and I know for this particular situation we're not going to be able to pull in that data, but this is more of that long term answer in general that I think cards are often overexposed in their nature here. So uh, it's the answer that, and you know, Nick will give the same answer when he makes the show. Like all of us are not necessarily trying to have a hundred outrights here to say that we had a winner. We're trying to pick and choose our spots in this situation, but you know, hopefully those six names are names that you can consider or whatever the exact amount was there. And, um, you know, if there's anybody else that you would like to discuss, Roberto, I, I'm sure everybody out there would love hearing those options.
1: Yeah, I'm really intrigued by Taylor Pendrith. Um, we saw last year when he gave us a glimpse of his potential with his finishes in July through the end of last year's PGA Tour season, where I think he finished in the top 13 every single event except for the FedEx St. Jude Championship. And He was awesome, but then kind of fell apart at the beginning of this season, and now it looks like he's getting it together. On approach, he's gained strokes in six of his last eight tournaments that have been tracked, and in his last two tournaments, T3 at the Shriners, T15 in Mexico last week. I think he's kind of putting the pieces together, and he's someone who's on an upward trajectory, and in a field without a lot of top-tier players, I think he could be one of those guys And he's also shown a propensity to thrive on some of these club down courses where, sure, he's a really long guy who doesn't have the the best driving accuracy, but you don't need to be as accurate when you got that driving iron or three wood in your hands and there's accuracy built into that club that isn't with the driver. So I'm intrigued by him. I still might bet him maybe tomorrow night when we figure out a little bit more certainty around the weather situation, if he's on the right side of the draw if we think there is, if I think there are any advantages to be had in tee times. Otherwise, I'm probably just going to hold off with just that Russell Knox bet. I'm also intrigued by Lucas Glover. I'm also intrigued by Thomas Dietry. Uh, Dietry specifically really intriguing because of his length, his putting, and then also the wedges, So and great course history here as well. Um, Those are the guys that I was looking at most closely. Always intrigued by Batia, a guy who's just 22 years old, still has upside that we haven't really seen tapped into yet. So I'm very intrigued by him. But at 19 to 1, it's a hard pass for me. Had him last week as first-round leader. Um, Those are the guys that I was closest to. I'm also intrigued by Luke List. If things get really windy, and we so for example, if he's in contention three, four shots back, maybe on Saturday afternoon, and it's just going to be windy everywhere... If you just shoot two, three under par, that could be a great score that day, which means it's going to be tougher for everybody to score. And for a guy who absolutely rips lasers, I think he'll be able to thrive in that scenario and somewhat could minimize his weakness with the putter, but also Luke List. We've seen as he won earlier this year in the fall, maybe that putter's becoming a strength. Uh, we don't have any data from last week, but since his win at the chicken championship down there in Mississippi, T18 at the Shriners, T45 last week. I'm intrigued by Luke List. I think that he could also be taking a jump and because of that putter going from being arguably the worst on the entire PGA Tour to at least neutral or perhaps even a strength. So I'm intrigued by him, especially as there might be more win. Um, So those are some of the guys that I'm targeting right now, and hopefully we get the right conditions for any or all of them.
2: You know, it's funny, like Luke List has kind of taken that, if you want to call it like the Space Jam approach of the Monstars, they're only where, you know, List did not go for the Denny McCarthy putter here. And and obviously he's put together some Denny McCarthy like performances with the putter here and there, but it's almost like he stole the ability from Scotty Scheffler to make a putt. And now Scheffler is the worst putter on tour. And you know, List is a guy that looks like a legitimate top 50, 60, 70 putter with what he's produced recently. I don't know if this is the best course fit for him. Um, I I think 2024 is going to be a really intriguing season for him because if the putter can be neutral in these spots and with the distance that you're talking about that he brings to the mix, I think he could have high potential in some of these I mean, even as much as major championship events, just with the game that he brings, like think of a Wyndham Clark with that answer there to where improving an area that you weren't good. Obviously Clark's was with the iron play, but if list Mm -hmm. can be a quality putter, you never quite know. And and then just really quickly before we move on, like Pendrith to me is very similar to Cameron Davis. We always talk about Mm -hmm. Cameron Davis at these club down tournaments and how he gets this boosted upside increase to win an event. Pendrith has the same exact output inside of my model. I I wanted to find a way to back him. I hated the price that the the sports books released on him. And um, I don't think it's that far off. It's obviously tough to get to that number there, but I think there's a reason why books did that. Like he's legitimately one of the favorites to win this tournament. I'm hoping there may be an ability to jump on him on Thursday night, Friday night, depending on exactly where we're sitting and where the other, the weather looks like it's going. But I agree with you. Pendrith is very intriguing for a, a tournament like this that presents that club down nature.
1: Also, wanted to make a quick note Ryan Palmer's 35 to 1 to win this tournament on our sponsor Bet365 in their enhanced win market. Prior to last week, he'd missed six of his last seven cuts, and he was T68 in the one cut that he made. So, not great history at all. Not great recent form at all, I should say. And then he finished his T5 last week. Unfortunately, we don't have as much coverage of these tournaments in the fall, so haven't been able to follow these guys, and I couldn't find any information on this while googling it around but last week i did see ryan palmer was using one of those lab putters which adam scott plays uh lucas glover most famously this year changed to it and it's unique because it doesn't have torque so it means that the putter is designed to be straight at address and then stay straight throughout the stroke uh whereas other putters aren't and i personally have invested in one of these putters i know we talked to nick and you off air about these putters. I think the technology is real and seeing him finish T five last week, don't have any stroke skiing data. So I don't know how well, how much of it was because of the putter or from not being a disaster on approach or off T uh, as he has been, or, or most of them on, on approach and around the green recently. But I'm intrigued by that. I'm probably not going to bet. I'm definitely not going to bet him at 35. 20, yeah. I guarantee you that, but I'm just intrigued to see if that putter continues to be uh, a strength for him because it hasn't been, throughout this season, it's been really rough. So uh, in the one tournament prior to that T five gained over a stroke putting per round in a miscut. So only two rounds over there at the Shriners in your neck of the woods, but I'm intrigued to see how he does there. Um, Same thing with Camila Vijegas, who came out of nowhere on a sponsor's exemption would have been an awesome story had he won last week, still is an awesome story with that T two for him. He was also using that same lab putter, except it's a arm lock version. So I'm intrigued by that. not going to be betting Camilo or Ryan Palmer after terrible recent form. They do really well last week. I'm not going to catch the falling knife here, but I'm intrigued to see in that space. I know that a lot of live golfers have gone to the lab putters because they've had time to experiment with different equipment because they play less often compared to PGA Tour players. But now that some PGA Tour players didn't go to Japan and they had a few weeks off, now they're popping up with a new putter. I'm intrigued to see how what roles that plays for different players. And if you have a Luke list situation where a guy is an absolute flusher who can't putt and now putting is a strength for him. That's someone I want to bet on. Um, Not necessarily in the outright market for a guy like Ryan Palmer, but I'm intrigued to see what happens this week. And maybe we can play that in sea Island uh, for the last FedEx cup fall event of 2023. So just
2: very by that. Re- really fast on that answer, because I think this is where books made it difficult because, you know, I, I kind of keep giving the answer inside of articles and podcasts that I think Palmer is a fade this week. And really the reason it stems from this massive price increase that we've seen. Mm-hmm. My model likes him fine. Like, I just want to preface that because I've only ever said negative things about him this week. Like he's inside of the top you know, 35 for me and pretty much all iterations outside of the safety, which you've talked about him not being the most safe golfer here recently. But uh decent upside numbers, decent overall rank for me. I think unfortunately with him, he experienced too far of a shift with the prices that we're receiving. Like if he was the number of more in the like hundred to one range, I'd be very interested mm-hmm. on Palmer at that total. I just think it's a different bet to obviously for obvious reasons when he's 30 something to one to win a golf tournament, when this is exactly like you're talking about, like this is trying to catch the falling dagger that is moving at a million miles per hour, where one week ago without that result from Palmer he's more in the hundred to one plus range for this tournament and all the value has been pulled from the number at this point. So I don't dislike him for this course. I think some of the wind answers that you want to talk about are really intriguing for him. I think some of the course expectations that you want to talk about are really intriguing for him, but uh, books have made him unbettable in the outright market. And that doesn't mean he doesn't go out and win this contest. Like there's obviously that possibility that occurs and that happens sometimes to where you're just, you, you don't jump on a number that has moved so much. So I guess I want to kind of change that stance that I've given so frequently to where it's not that I dislike Palmer, it's that I dislike the movement that we've seen on him because like, I, I agree, he's very intriguing at, at double the price of that 35 to one number. He's just unbettable where he's at right now.
0: Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash BlueWire. That's harrys.com slash BlueWire for a $3 trial set.
1: Spencer, before we get into the rest of our cards, I wanted to ask you, say, Saturday morning, we see it's going to be 35 mile an hour winds all day in Bermuda. Are there any players whom you're trying to back or fade under those kind of conditions this week?
2: Yeah, I can bring up my model of some of the biggest movers in heavy wind conditions, so Like in my sheet this week, I have a strokes gain total wind. The interesting note of that is it removes anything that has lesser wind from the equation. Like I ran it from the extent, most of the extent of the model is with heavy wind conditions. It does put in more of an average to a little bit above average with it. But I mean, you see guys like Adam Scott, Alex Noren, Ryan Armour, Thomas Dietry, Alex Smalley, uh, Brandon Wu, who's one of my outrights, the Ben Griffin discussions that we've had. Um, I think those guys see a big increase. I think Andrew Novak is intriguing in heavy wind conditions. He was one of those boomer bust players for me that I don't know if I necessarily trust him over four days. And that's the problem that I'm running into to figure out how do I want exposure to him? But I don't think it's inconceivable that he could post a top 10 finish here. I thought at 80 to one to be the first round leader. There's at least some merit in considering that. But I mean, if you want to look at the opposite end of that equation of if it gets really windy, Dylan Wu, uh, it was outside the top 90 for me in strokes gain total in heavier wind conditions. It's kind of a golfer that I like this week, but I think that he could take that negative downshift. Um, I had a bet a couple weeks ago of Dylan Wu over Brandon Wu that did not come to fruition when it got with heavier winds. So I've kind of already seen what happens with Dylan Wu when the wind picks up there. Um I guess Akshay would be the other one. Akshay kind of has a a negative trajectory for me inside of my model. He moves to 73rd overall when we get heavier win conditions, but um, it would probably be those two guys. And then all those other guys that I talked about when it does get much heavier wins, I think they're intriguing as outright bets. Those other ones would be more of names that you might want to consider in head to head matchups.
1: Gotcha. And as you always mentioned, it's more important to find a guy to fade than a guy to back in the matchup. So always, um, very intrigued to see what happens if the wind picks up. Um, an aside here. But Colin Morikawa, a guy who I whom I normally like to fade in very blustery conditions, just cause he's got one stock shot and it is awesome. He doesn't need to mix in a changeup or a curveball because his fastball is always firing on all cylinders. But that little butter cut doesn't always play the best in the wind. And if you find guys who mostly move it from left to right who can't change their trajectory or their um or their shot shape, it could be a challenge in the wind. So I'm very intrigued. Ryan Palmer's a guy who grew up in in Texas and could be an intriguing player in the wind as well. Uh, But for me, Luke List is the guy whom I want to try to back uh, just because he hits these absolute frozen ropes. And I think they'll be less affected by the wind. Um, But always but was very intrigued to see your uh, wind statistic in your model. I think you weighed at 15% this week. So um, no coincidence that the guys at the top of your overall model are all guys who played well in the wind. So very intrigued to see how those guys played this week. But Spencer, let's get back to the rest of our card here this week. But actually, before we do that, a quick reminder that Links and Locks is presented by Bet365. Bet365 doesn't do ordinary. They believe that every sport should be epic. Every touchdown, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today with code ACTION. That's A-C-T-I-O-N. And you'll get $365 in bonus bets when you bet just $1. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Must be 21 or older only. Must be present in Colorado, Kentucky, Iowa, New Jersey, Ohio, or Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, and Virginia, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Spencer, let's get back to the rest of your card for this week. Who you got?
2: I mean, it's going to be a very small card for me. Like it, it keeps going back to the answer that I've given quite frequently on this show during the fall season. And, and specifically during these last couple of tournaments where we don't have data to pull from, just don't want to become overly invested. We, we saw the upside of what happens, which surprisingly Colin Morikawa won a golf tournament and I was on that. Like that might be the biggest shocker of the year. I, I know you said that you normally fade Colin Morikawa in windy conditions. You could have just stopped it for me. And I could have just said, I normally fade Colin Morikawa. Like, that's the end of the sentence there.
1: So in that tournament, he won, obviously, in Japan, the Zozo Championship. But in the second round, when it got windy, he shot four over par. Yeah, it got bad. Um, so you could have had, if you could have asked the books for a fade of him in round two when there was wind and parlay that with your tournament winner, you, you <laughs> would have been a genius. But anyways, going back to your card.
2: Um, it's going to be very small for me though, like in most of these other spots, like I'm just not looking for tons of exposure. Like I said, it was great with the Morikawa win. It was less great last week when I I dropped about two and a half units back to the mix there. So I'm going to bet Brandon Wu at five to one for a top 10. I considered Troy Merritt in that area for a top 20. I think you could go down that route. I'm just going to stop it with Brandon Wu. That's going to be 0.20 units to win one there. Just think some of that upside that he brings on these slower green complexes is really intriguing. Um, You know, bet 365 if if you are looking for exposure in various areas. Their finishing position markets are always really fun. Uh, Troy Merritt was 45th or better as of Monday at minus 120. That was a wager that I thought was interesting. I'm probably on the opposite end of the equation as as you are. I, I thought Luke List 30th or worse was probably the way that I would have played it, but those are not two wagers that I have an official dollar on. You know, they were plays that I needed when I talked to Jason Sobel on the Gimme to round out that section there, but they're not wagers for me that I have bet on. I think I thought there was a little bit of value there if you want to get technical, but Brandon Wu is uh, for a top ten, and obviously that's a volatile market that we're talking about to begin with, but. Uh, that's the last ticket that I am officially punching to go along with the outright card and then the Davis-Riley over Stewart-Sink ticket that I have.
1: All right. I've got, actually, I think I might have more bets in the <laughs> placement market on Bet365 and like top 20s this week than I've had the last month combined. I love it. So right. I'm pretty excited about this week. Uh, I'm not betting these for much. I'm betting the top 20 bets to win a half unit, and I'm betting my uh, p- finishing positions to win a quarter unit so going low going small here just because of the lack of data but i i am intrigued so first one's going to be harry hall top 20 plus 275 (laughs) uh, where ties are all paid in full he's a strong wedge and putter and we saw him pop up at colonial i think we already mentioned this as not necessarily a comp course but for distances wise on approach i think it's going to be similar and he is an elite putter on the pj tour fourth in the entire PJ Tour in strokes game putting and 21st on the entire PJ Tour in approach proximity from 50 to 125 yards, which he's a guy who can knock it out there, not going to be... Um, I don't think that his game allows him to contend at many golf courses because he's just a little bit below average driving distance and way below average in driving accuracy. But if he can get a wedge in his hand and let that putter get hot, I think he's got some upside. So that's why I wanted to play him for the top 20 market. And I've also got another top 20 play, which I feel a little bit more confident in this one. Honestly, it's Ryan Moore plus two seventy five for top 20 where ties are all paid in full. And I'd consider betting this one for top 10 as well uh, at plus 600 where ties are also paid in full. I know Ryan Moore is a guy who your model normally likes because of his excellent approach play where this week I saw on your sheet that he's fifth in this field in overall approach play fourth in the last 24 rounds. And, really strong proximity numbers from within 200 yards. And for a guy who hits it absolutely nowhere, this is the type of course where he can pop up and contend. And he's also just a terrible putter and not very good around the green, but he has shown signs of life where a couple weeks ago at the Shriners Children's Open, he was third in the field in strokes gain putting. So I'm intrigued by that. And just the strong overall approach play that he brings to the field or that he brings to this tournament, I think gives him some upside and he's going to give himself opportunities because of that approach play paired with him ranking third in driving accuracy in this field, also second in bogey avoidance. So even though he's not the guy, kind of guy who's going to attack these par fives because they're so short, I think that he can hang around and make a birdie or two on those three par fives and then do really well on those par fours under 460 yards, every single one of them, all 11. So I like Ryan Moore's chances of playing well this week uh, for the top 20 at plus 275. And now I've got two fades. I think one of which will surprise you a lot more than the other one in the bet 365 placement markets. So these are to win a quarter unit, all at minus 120 juice, just because they're juiced. I don't like, I don't want to bet these super uh, aggressively unless I got a lot more data to back them from recent tournaments, which we don't have, unfortunately. But first one, Peter Quest 44th or worse. Peter Quest, one of the great stories on the PGA Tour that that not a lot of people have talked about, at least recently. He's a guy who Monday qualified for a couple different tournaments. I know last week there was some video of John Rahm talking about how if you did every single Monday qualifier, how many of them do you think you would qualify for? He said like maybe five. And Quest has done three, which is ridiculous because now he doesn't even have to qualify uh, for other ones because he got a top 10, got him into some other tournaments. But anyways, since he qualified for several of those tournaments at the beginning of the year, was playing great golf, even had a top five. He's really faded over the last couple months, especially in the fall. Missed cuts in three of his last four starts, only one forty third 43rd or better, which is what would take to burned this ticket up for me in his last eight starts. So one of those in his last eight, and that was a T25 at the Sanderson farms. And he's really poor on around the green. So if his approach play isn't there, then things could get ugly for him. He's lost strokes around the green in nine of his last 11 tracked starts. And his approach form is waning after starting off pretty hot. His lost strokes on approach in four of his last five starts, and he's a bomber who's not very accurate. So maybe the club down course element could help him out, but he just, has been playing bad golf lately. So for a guy who didn't even start this year on the PGA tour, for me to be able to fade him at 44th or worse. Sure. There are a lot of guys who aren't on the PGA tour with cards in this field this week. I wanted to fade Peter quest this week to win a quarter unit at 44th or worse. And then my last fade, I think a guy whom we were really excited about. who has just fallen off the face of the earth. Kevin, Yu. I got him for 40, th- 43rd or worse. missed cuts in five, his last six starts at, At the end of the PGA Tours, quote unquote, regular season before the playoffs started this year, we were talking about how he was going to win a tournament in the fall, and he's just done nothing since then, really surprisingly. And he was really intriguing because he was super long off the tee and super accurate at the beginning of the season before an injury. And even right after the injury, he was super accurate off the tee. And if you look at his driving accuracy... He's been above average driving distance basically all year long. He's super long. Uh, he was below average relative to the field in driving accuracy in just one of his first 11 starts this year. So he looked like a guy who could be a generational driver of the golf ball, kind of Ludwig-Aber territory, Aubert territory. My apologies. Since then, in his last 10 tournaments, he's been below average in driving accuracy seven of the last 10 starts, including four in a row. His approach play has also fallen off. and. We were intrigued because he could do everything except putt, and he still can't putt. So one of the worst part is on the tour, lost strokes putting in 10 of his last 12 starts. Put all those things together, and I could see another 43rd or worse. You mentioned how uh, you're fading somebody who had a top five here last year that was pushing him up the board. Kevin, you, T3 here last year, which I think just raised his numbers too high this week in the market. So as a result, I'm fading him. But had I gotten, and he's 55-ish to one to win outright this week, I still think he should be around 100. or Not necessarily around 100. I was, I wanted to bet him around 100, uh, but he wasn't there at that number. Overall, I just think he's overrated in the market this week, so I'll sprinkle a little bit on him to win 0.25 units at 43rd or worse at minus 120 on Bet365. Spencer, any thoughts on those plays for me? Uh, any guys you like, any guys you don't?
2: I think the Harry Hall, Ryan Moore answers like those are two UNLV golfers that should be able to excel in windy conditions. They they were both players for me that kind of excelled in any of those top 20 markets that you're talking about. I I consider them value-wise also like them. I think the Peter Quest fade is really interesting. Now, I did not mention him when you talked about potential golfers to fade in windier conditions. He would be another one of those names that just gets exponentially worse when it gets windier. So. I think that's a nice intriguing spot there. I don't know, Roberto. Maybe this is where like old habits die hard for me. <clears throat> if Kevin Yu doesn't do it this week, I have to stop ever saying that Kevin Yu until something has changed. I think that this is the best course that he has had of any of these tournaments over the last two months. Like there were a lot of these events where I know we've talked about how much we like them. I don't know if they were ever necessarily the ideal course fit for him to find success. Like, I had limited data sample sizes inside of my model for him in a lot of these venues. He wasn't necessarily grading exactly how I wanted him to in most of these spots, but like, you know, he was a top 20-25 golfer who was just continuously missing cuts. When I ran the upside for this tournament, he finally jumped back inside the top 10 again for me. I think he's a very big boomer bust target to where like I agree, I wish that there were different numbers out there. I do think you can find him 75 to 1 to win this contest at a particular book out there think that that's an intriguing number. Um, I don't mind that anybody wants to go down that direction. I'm going to be the sucker in the room that says he pr- produces a top 40 finish this week, but God, Roberto, it's been bad. It's been, it, this is not what I envisioned from Kevin Yu when we went on for weeks and weeks about how this fall season was going to be his coming out party. Uh, I am hoping that this is the week where it all turns around because I think it's the best course fit for him, but I, I agree and safer markets, there's definitely some trouble there.
1: If I had to bet Kevin you, I'd definitely bet him for upside top ten, um, perhaps for him just because the putter is gonna prevent him from probably winning this tournament. But if I had to bet him, I'd definitely bet him for upside. And hey, maybe he let me see here. He is a hundred fifteenth in the fax Cup standings with two weeks, two tournaments to play in the season. So probably gonna keep his card. Don't, I'm not guaranteeing it, but probably, which means that maybe he plays poorly these two events gets a little time off and then we get to see him in January and we get a great number and we can hammer it in a better field that week. Um, that's what I'm kind of hoping for.
2: It's so we get possible a good with that, but I, I do think the 75 to one price is intriguing. If, if nothing else for this tournament, like you have to know what you're signing up for because the floor is very, very low and another miscut or poor performance is certainly on the table. But um, I do stand by at least that my model believes this is the best spot that he's had in quite some time.
1: I think there were a couple of interesting spots for him over the last few weeks, but unfortunately we don't have the data from the Zozo where a guy who maybe can't putt, but who can ball strike that course to death could thrive. Uh, of yeah. course where you're not going to have a super low winning score. And then last week where who really knows what happened because there's no data and we didn't get to watch it. So did it really even happen? Um, but you would have thought that his driving distance would have helped him just smash it all around those court, that course El Cardinal where there was no rough. Um, I think that's everything on my end here, Spencer. Anybody else you wanted to talk about, or are you good for a little rapid fire?
2: No, let's get to the rapid fire section.
1: All right. Uh, Brendan Todd and Akshay Batia, along with Alex Noren are 19 to one on bet 365, just behind Adam Scott. If you had to bet one of those three outright, which one would it be?
2: I mean, I have an addiction. I can't stop betting Alex Noren. So if I'm getting a ticket handed to me <laughs> on somebody, I would like to have the exposure to Alex Noren. I mean, I think Norn and Todd are very close Akshay would be the one that I'm less intrigued on. I think Todd is also a fine bet. But I guess just to continue going with this Alex Noren, Voldemort disaster that ensues every single week with it, uh, I will go with Alex Noren.
1: We'll note that since the odds opened on on Monday morning, he was tw- 25 to 1 and has moved up to 19 to 1. Yeah. Only person who's moved inside of 20 to 1 who was outside of 20 to 1 on bet 365.
2: I think it's credible. I think that's a credible movement. I'll just point that out there. Right. I think that's sharper money than it would be square money. Looking
1: at 24 to
2: 1, Lucas
1: Herbert, Ben Griffin, and Taylor Pendrith. Which one of those guys would you want on your card?
2: Ooh, Griffin and Pendrith are very close. Like, I, I pretty much every single week am lower on Herbert than the general public. I, I, this has been the most my model has probably liked him in the last year. So don't think it's a bad course for him. I, I think there's reasons why he has found success or could find success again out here. But um I guess for the sake of this, I will go with Ben Griffin just because he was the only player for me that graded inside the top 10 of all six categories that I ran. Uh, but like I said, I also think this is a nice spot for Pendrith. Like, those two in particular are very much so on my short list of names I will be looking to potentially add when this tournament begins.
1: I'm very intrigued by all the guys at 27 to one or lower, and then not very intrigued by the guys at 32 to one or higher. So I'm very intrigued by all three of these guys. Herbert, of course, won this tournament two years ago here. Ben Griffin was in the driver's seat last year with a couple of holes to go and then kind of fell apart. So it would be some kind of poetic justice for him to win this week. And then, we mentioned how much I like Taylor Pender this week. Probably the first guy whom I'm looking to play if the conditions are right. So very intrigued by all three of these guys. Um, let's go down the board a little bit more. Mark Hubbard's 32 to 1. Doug Gims also 32 to 1. And I'll throw Nick Hardy in at 35 to 1. Which one of those three guys would you like to have a ticket on the most?
2: I think all three are fine. My my model had each one inside the top 15, I believe. I will go with Doug Gim just because he was number one for me in weighted scoring for this tournament. Um, I think that means something to where you obviously have a weaker field that we're talking about here. I think anytime that you can give me some sort of an upside number that could separate a player from the rest of the pack. I think that's kind of, it's either that or expected strokes gain total. Like those would be the two for me that if you could post the top, you know, five return in one of those two areas, I would be looking at you in a different way. And the fact that Gim is actually number one, For uh, one of those two categories, I think that's a very intriguing return.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm very intrigued by that as well. Um, And for a guy who has one of the best nicknames on the PGA Tour, the Gim Reaper. Dropping down the board a little bit more, Davis rallies 38 to 1. Stewart Stewart Sink is 45 to 1. Lanto Griffin, 45 as well. Any of those three whom you'd like to have a ticket on?
2: I mean, not Sink... Obviously, we have the Riley play over him. Um, I, I would probably go with Davis Riley just because I think that it's one of those... I don't want to call it boom or bust because I think he's turned it around recently, but um, he has at least in the last little bit provided some high-end returns here and there with it. And I think that the game seems to be trending again. Um, I talked about how my model believed that this was a tournament that historically he's produced at least in similar concepts of the course like we don't have the stats to talk about of how exactly people are gaining strokes but you know 50% of my model looks into win play and soft Bermuda courses and slow Bermuda courses and just soft and slow courses in general and like the other 50% is going to be that recalculation that comes into play of the projected weighted scoring of how I thought it was going to play and then the expected strokes gain total of how I thought it was going to play but that 50% mix of what we have seen historically on similar courses, Davis-Riley thrives in those areas. So um, I can consider Riley, like Riley and Gim and Pendrith were probably like the three that were the closest that did not make my card. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a nice spot for Riley to potentially bounce back in a big way.
1: It's been a weird year for Davis-Riley where he and Nick Hardy had that win at the Sir- yeah. classic of New Orleans. And then... Davis Rally doesn't have a top 20 since then. So really strange, just strange. Um, That is everybody at 50 to one or shorter on the board at Bet365's Enhanced Win Market. So Spencer, where can the people find your work for the rest of this week before we record um, our next spot?
2: You can find my round one article on Wednesday over here at Action Network. If you like any of the numbers that you've heard throughout this show, you can get that model over at Roto Baller. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at t-off Sports. And once again, as always, thank you to everybody out there who listens to this show, who makes Roberto, Nick, and I a part of their weekly research process. So uh, we couldn't do this show without you guys. Uh, I think this is a fun tournament despite the lack of data that we have. It doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to be overly exposed in some areas of the market. And unfortunately, I wish this was one of those tournaments because these watered down fields are more of where I would like to get my weekly exposure. If we could just have data for this course, it would be my ideal tournament. Like this is so much better than these events that we're going to talk about in 2024 where we have no cut events with all the best players in the world. This is my bread and butter of where I would like to be. I think the lack of data, unfortunately, limits some of the upside, but I don't know. I mean, Roberto, you have a bunch of bets this week that I thought had intriguing value to it. I think you can pick and choose your spots. You're going to have to trust some of your pre-tournament data since you're not going to be able to put in any of the tournament data that's coming into the mix here over the first couple days. But. You know, I-, I think that at least over the first round here, you can run a model still that incorporates how somebody's produced and run some of that longer term duration data that you want to look for. So um, I think it should be a fun event. I-, I think it's one of those events to where um I thought there was a little bit of value in a lot of different sectors here for the outright market. And obviously you found a lot of bets for us to talk about in other areas, but uh, beyond anything else, thank you for everybody who listens to the show.
1: Yeah. Big thanks to everybody who's supported us. Really appreciate it. And we hope that You guys are enjoying it, and we continue to send out some winners for you guys. Um, Also, be sure to keep an eye on our in tournament bets. We'll have we'll have in tournament articles on the Action Network posted most nights this week. So be sure to tune in uh, to see where there might be value because this is a pretty volatile tournament with it being in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Wind could play a big factor. So. Very intrigued to see how that works as we mentioned it for the 7,000th time in this podcast. You can also find our friend Nick Brettwish who will be hopefully on the pod next week uh, on Twitter at sticks picks that sticks with an X. You can find me at Roberto a two one three. I'll have the first round leader article out for you tomorrow. And then of course you can find Spencer at T off sports on Twitter. I want to give a big thanks to everybody who makes this podcast possible, especially our producers, Noah Niederhofer and Matt Mitchell and Thanks for tuning in to our Butterfield Bermuda Championship tournament preview. And here's to hoping you get the green this week in Bermuda. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.